The following podcast is mostly a work of fiction. Names of people, businesses, characters, places, and incidents appearing or mentioned in this work are either byproducts of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously for entertainment purposes only. Any resemblance to actual events, names, locales, or real persons, living or dead, or fictitious, is entirely coincidental. The llamas, however, are real. I will try and interrupt you if you make it difficult to edit, because I find that amusing. Now, you see how I timed that? Just she was taking a drink. You know, I do have controls, and I can put you on mute. Can we find our way out of this uh, maze of rabbit trails? Embrace the rabbit trail. So, I'm sorry that my it, interview uh, has put your butt to sleep. <laughs> You're listening to the Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards podcast, featuring interviews with your favorite speculative fiction authors. We'll be discussing their books, their fandoms, and their writing processes. So sit back and enjoy another exciting episode with your hosts, Aaron, Josh, and Liberty. Welcome back to Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. I'm Liberty Spidell, one of your hosts, and this is episode 48 of the show. Today we have with us Kevin Newsom, and we will be discussing his writing process. So in this episode, we have plotting versus panting theory, Kevin's modified snowflake method, which there's a shout out there to Randy Ingermanson. We also discuss writing and editing tips tips and techniques in Scrivener from both me and Kevin. Uh, Kevin also uh, tells us how he uses OneNote to track his notes in his research, and he offers some uh, writer's block advice from Joss Whedon. Uh, We discuss writing a series, uh, and we also talk classic Doctor Who. So there's a lot in this episode. It's really meaty, really good. Um, So I hope you will enjoy it. A couple of quick things from LDK land. First of all, this episode has some more technical glitches like we had in episode 47. Um, I've tried my best to get these out, and unfortunately I couldn't get everything out. It just was proving impossible and delaying um, significantly how long it was taking to get the episode out. So I do apologize for that. Um, Second of all... Uh, we are now in possession of our own .com. We're no longer just WordPress. So our new website is lasersdragonsandkeyboards.com. That will redirect you to our WordPress site. But if you haven't had a chance to check out the website before, you might want to go check it out. And we hope to be doing some upgrades to the website uh, in the near future. And hopefully Aaron's going to take that on and it will be wonderful. Um... There's, um, we will also be starting to plan our 2017 schedule. Um, we are going to slow down our production a little bit just to make allowances for, uh, the post-production that has to happen. And we are all very busy parents and, um, have jobs and things. So we need to kind of slow things down, but we won't be slowing down on our quality at all. So in fact, we're hoping to kick that up a notch or two. Um, and a little personal note, um, I do have a new book coming out uh, on December 15th, so if you haven't had a chance yet, you can go pre-order my new book, Omission, which is the fourth full-length story in the Darbyshire Chronicles. Uh, that is, I believe, $2.99 through the end of the year, and after the uh, first of the year, it will be um, going up in price a little bit. So if you want to get it at a reduced rate, $2.99 through the end of the year. 
Um, that's about all I've got on tap for now, but we are going to try to get out some more of our shows, um, before Christmas. So if you need something to listen to in your car and, uh, who doesn't at this time of year, uh, be sure to check out the, the site because we will be putting up new episodes before the end of the year. Without further ado, here's our show. Enjoy Kevin. Welcome back to Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. We're here with Kevin Newsom, and in this part of the show, we're going to be discussing his writing process. Hello. Nobody's thinking, what question is he really going to ask? <laughs> oh, no. It could be any of them. Fine, I'll start with the first one. Are you a plotter or a pincer? I'm a meticulous plotter. And honestly, uh you know, I know people who, who say they're pantsers and everything, and I just smile at them and I say, you know what? In the end, you're going to be, be a plotter anyway, whether you want to admit it or not, because they're going to plot while they're going, and then they're going to spend an inordinate amount of time going back and fixing their plot problems. You know, I just do the mm-hmm. same thing. Uh, I, I do all the hard work up front instead of doing the fun work first. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's the best way to go, and and the Panthers are going to have to do the hard work too. Uh, they just do it in a different way. Mm-hmm. My theory, because I used to be a Panther, and I'm now kind of more of a hybrid, is that your first draft, if you're a Panther, is really more of your working outline for the second and third draft. Mm-hmm. It's just you put more work in. Right. So. Um, well, and and there are some. There are some writing tricks that I'll probably talk about that that only work because of the way I handle outlining. So, so what does your writing process look like then? Um, well, okay then. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I start out uh, with a modified snowflake uh, type of thing. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll follow the initial processes with the one sentence, the one paragraph, the one page. Um, I don't go beyond the one page when I when I do snowflaking. From there, um, I break it up into uh, uh, five stages. I break my plot up into five stages uh, that are of my own design. Um, okay. It's not something standard you're going to see. Um, I've actually written about it. There's a blog on my website about the five-stage plot that I use. Um, so I break up my plot into five stages, uh, and I'll write two or three sentences sentences about each stage and what's going to happen in those stages. Um, and then I break each stage up into the appropriate amount of chapters that I, uh, I want to go into that stage. And then I'll write two or three sentences about those chapters uh, and what I want to happen in those chapters. And so that all those things combined constitute my outline. So, so uh, does that mean that you're kind of looking at a five-act structure rather than a um, three-act? Not really. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the the acts are generally um, uh, exposition, rising action, climax, that sort of thing. Um, I go from a different perspective and um, uh, you know, pop on over my website so I tell you right. Um. Basically, uh, my, my stages uh, uh, revolve around the disasters. 
Okay. And how they affect the cast um, and how they try to resolve those disasters. Uh, so your first stage is going to be uh, most of the exposition and everything. Um, and then it's going to end with the first disaster. Uh, and, and that's what propels them into the story. So that's going to be my first stage of the plot. Uh, the okay. second stage is going to be their first attempt to resolve. They don't understand it fully, and so they usually put a Band-Aid solution on the disaster, um, and that's going to end with the second disaster, leading into the third stage. Third stage is uh, things are, are serious. They think it through. They do a, their best educated attempt to resolve the problem. Uh, ends in another disaster, the final disaster. The fourth stage is where we, we have a belly of the well moment, uh, an epiphany moment. Um, those sorts of things all happen in the fourth stage, which ends with a, a, a do or die last attempt to resolve, and that's going to be the climax. Uh, and the, the fifth yeah. stage um, is everything that comes out. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I've got it down uh, <laughs> pretty scientific. <laughs> And if our listeners want to take a look at that, we'll have links in our show notes. Yes, uh, you can go to my website, kevinnewson.com. You go under Published Works. There's a tab menu for Published Works. It'll be under Story Building Mastery. Uh, and I have uh, several things about Story Building Mastery. And if you want to find out about the five stages, it's called the five-stage plot. That's mastery number seven. Okay. Well, buddy. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe me. It helps me. It helps me. <laughs> yeah, with the five-stage process, how long does it take you to knock out a draft? Uh, I can generally knock out about a thousand words a day, easy. Uh, if I'm really focused uh, and know what I'm know what I want to write, know where I'm going, and have a really clear vision of what's going to happen in the scene, uh, I can get up to two thousand words pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, you know, a typical manuscript uh, runs more or less about hundred thousand words. I think uh, Winter mm-hmm. was around 90. Prophet is probably a little bit bigger now, about 95. Uh, Acolyte come in at around 110. Uh, it was a little bit bigger than the others. Uh, so that's 100 days, first draft, about half that again for a second. Another month or so for uh, self-editing and stuff, so maybe about 200 days. Uh, so the uh, problem becomes uh, whether or not I can get those 200 days consecutive or if they stretch out over... Uh, quite a few months. <laughs> That's yeah, a real trick, isn't it? Yeah, having that consistency yeah. can be very difficult because life happens. Right, right. And, and when you're a full-time pastor, you know, uh, that that takes a priority over writing. Sometimes I have to... I have, writing happens on, on time that's not allocated to church and family. So when I, I have extra time... Right. Like, you know, those darn kids want to eat every day. Every single day, <laughs> all day long. <laughs> so what writing software do you prefer to use? Right now, I'm writing Inscriber. Uh, I'm loving Scriver. Uh, I wrote mm-hmm. Acolyte Inscriber. Uh, I did not write Winner and Prophetess Inscriber. I didn't know about it then. So, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure how long Scriver has been around. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how long they've been around. But I, I do my uh, I do my detailing for my outline. And I've been using it uh, 
probably for about three years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my I've detail known about it for about writing. three years, so. Uh, I write in it, but I don't edit in it. I actually send out the word to the most of the Let my office suite lapse intentionally when it came up for renewal in the spring, and it's a little bit tricky to get everything moved over to Scrivener when you've got beta readers reading it in in Word. But I made it, I figured out how to get it to work, and I'm really liking doing it. I'm in Uh, right now. So you're able to do the changes, the tracking changes and everything? Yeah, I actually have to, I can still access Word, I just can't use all of the functions. But I have enough access that I can go and print it as a PDF. And it, right. as long as you show all the tracked changes and all the comments and everything, um, you'll see it on the PDF in Discriminator and have it on one side and your actual document on the other. And um, it's working pretty well for me. Okay. Why don't you just go uh, down with LibreOffice? I can read Word files. I understand. It's... This is the first time I've even tried to do it, so I was experimenting. <laughs> <laughs> For those curious, Scrivener was and, founded uh, in 2006. 2006. Ten years ago. But that would have been Mac only at that point. Yes. <clears throat> Let me say... Read in here when the Windows version came out. Hmm. No, it doesn't say when the Windows version first came out, but anyway... <laughs> Some point later. Anyway, our next question is: How do you organize and keep track of your own research? I'm assuming in Scrivener. Well, uh, actually, you know, a lot of that stuff happens in, uh, in in OneNote right now. I was using Evernote a lot. Um, I'm trying to Evernote sort of uh, on their free version, sort of limited how many um, devices you could use with that sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people that, uh, the, especially in the latest versions, ever know uh, the uh, free version isn't, doesn't do even a quarter yeah. of the stuff the paid version does. Um, but I do. I keep track of a lot of my research, uh, some of the the initial pre-writing and the initial outlining. Just you know, when I'm putting ideas and down and organizing ideas, uh, those things will happen in in one note um, mm-hmm. because I can I can access it. Easily from anywhere, I can grab my tablet, my phone, anywhere I want, and I can pull it up, and I can throw out an idea into OneNote and and get to it on my computer. And it's not until I'm ready to uh, really flesh out the outline and, and dig in and uh, work story uh, problems out that I transfer all of that to Scrabble. Mm-hmm. That works. So, um, self editing and editing process. Is there a specific person you go to, or? Um, well, uh, I do. I, I do a, a couple of self-editing passes myself. Um, I've got uh, like the cheat mm-hmm. sheets of <laughs> things that I have to <laughs> look for, and so uh, I know I know what my bad habits are. Um, so I'm able mm-hmm. to uh, uh, able to do searches and things like that, and handle a lot of self-editing myself. Uh, Kat Heckenbach mm-hmm. uh, is my go-to editor right now. She has been an uh, editor on all three of my books. Um, so she really knows my writing style, and uh, we work really well together. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she she 
you know, she loves winter. She knows winter <laughs> just as well as I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So she'll probably edit the fourth book too. Yeah, Kat's good people. We had her on uh, earlier this spring. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with writer's block, or do you even get it? Um. Well, I I do get it, and uh, if I want to deal with it, I have a a very easy, simple trick to deal with it. Uh, so writer's block doesn't scare me. Um, it's just, you know, finding the motivation to sit down. And, and <laughs> um, but uh, I have a, uh, a Joss Whedon tip that sort of helps. And then I've got my own trick that helps as well. Uh, Joss Whedon, uh, when asked how, how he writes so prolifically uh, and how he gets so much done, um, he said it's because when he's writing, he writes what's hot, you know. So if there's something that's mm-hmm. on his mind, he he writes it then. He doesn't he doesn't wait and slog through the slow parts that he doesn't want to deal with at that moment. He skips ahead and he writes what's uh-huh. hot. So I do that, you know. If I'm mm-hmm. if I'm in the scene that I just I'm not feeling today, I'll skip ahead and write the scene that I am feeling. Um, and I can do that. Because of the way I outline, because I've done so much of the hard work in developing what I want in the story, here's my trick is, is I can go into Scriber, you can do this really easy with Scriber, and I can write 100 words in a chapter whether I want to write it or not. And so I just start in that chapter and I write 100 words. And then mm-hmm. I get my 100 words and I move on to the next chapter and write 100 words. I move on to the next chapter and write 100 words. 100 words doesn't take very long. Uh, and if you write 100 words across 10 chapters, yeah. you've written 1,000 words, and you've had a good day. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'll, I handle writer's block that way. That's how I can I can get yeah. wordage done when I don't really feel like writing. I just write 100 words across several chapters. And usually one of, one of those chapters will just start flowing. I'll get two or 300, mm-hmm. 400 words in a chapter, uh, and I will get my 1,000 words within four or five chapters. I don't have to do 10 chapters that way. Yeah. So that's my little wow. my, my 100-word trick. <laughs> I would never doing that. Maybe working on a scene I was excited about, but usually that means I'm really close to the climax, and I'm wanting to write the climax. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and you can only do that if you've done the hard work of getting your outline in, in place, and you know what's supposed to happen in the chapters already. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. if you're completely exactly. going by the seat of your pants, and you don't know what's going to happen in the next chapter, so it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you really know your characters. I mean, you're writing a series like you and I both do. Um, it, you know what your characters are going to do and kind of what to expect. So, well, he just I think that helps a lot. Yeah, internet. I'm getting messages. Question: What kind of snacks or beverages do you have to have with you when you sit down to write? Um, I don't really have to have anything. You know, if I'm writing early in the morning, and I gotta have I gotta have coffee first thing in the morning. That's just it. Nothing's gonna happen until I have my cup of coffee. Um. <laughs> But it's it's not necessary to write. It's just necessary to you know to be an adult that day. So. Right, know the feeling. <laughs> no, no. What I really need is just really just music. Uh, that's that's my go-to mm-hmm. thing. Is music. Mm-hmm. Well, 
that leads right into our next question. What's on your playlist? Um, well, I have a, uh, my, my go-to playlist uh, is in Spotify. I have a playlist where I've dumped all the epic trailer music that I could find. Audio Machine, <laughs> uh, Two Steps from Hell, Future World Music, all of these people who write these epic trailer things, I have dumped every single one I could find into a playlist. There's 29 hours worth of music in that playlist. I think over 600 wow. songs in it, and I listen to it on random. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my go-to playlist. Uh, it's public, so anybody can follow that playlist if they want to say. I call it. It's my uh, my epic radio. You can you can look me up on Spotify and find my epic radio. You can follow my playlist. Six hundred. Cool tracks and 29 hours worth of the most epic music you could possibly listen to so <laughs> nice. uh, other than that i do have a couple of um pandora stations that i have tailored uh with certain emotional uh, uh content in mind uh so mm -hmm. that if there's a specific scene that um uh isn't meaning of a specific emotion i'll i'll you know i'll go to that that particular mm -hmm. pandora station just to you know, sort of get myself in the right headspace to write the scene. Uh-huh. So, are you one that has to have a certain type of music to uh, write a certain type of scene? Generally. Um, Generally. You know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to write a, a really emotional, heartbreaking scene listening to Audio Machine. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. Uh, uh -huh. so I've got a, I've got that Pandora station that, uh, is designed to, to help with that emotion. It, I, I, I'm, I'm a very musical person. I have a, a, a very deep musical background. I'm a musical weirdo. Uh, I've got all kinds of a very eclectic musical tastes. So, um, I feed off of music, uh, emotionally, mm -hmm. uh, and, and what I'm feeling off of that really goes into my writing. So, yeah, I, I can't write in silence. I've got to have music, and the music is going to drive the emotion behind my scene. So, yeah, I've got to tailor the music to it. Cool. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever had to Google? Not necessarily for a book or for Winter's series, but just in general. I've Googled some weird stuff. <laughs> probably the, the, the weirdest stuff has probably come from Googling and getting ready for a uh, for prophetess and googling all that the Wiccan stuff and, and the demonology yeah. stuff, um, uh, there's some pretty dark places on the internet when you start googling that sort of stuff. So um, mm -hmm. my browser history looked pretty rough. At that. <laughs> I was doing all that. You can't be a horror or a mystery writer if you don't NSA's watch list every now and then. Every once in a while, yeah. <laughs> What do your marketing practices look like? Uh, they're horrible right now. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're, they're uh, you know, begging people who do podcasts to let them do an interview. <laughs> 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 um, you know, uh, I did a lot of marketing. I, you know, I talked about the uh, um, early generation of indie writers, and, and we were hammered mm -hmm. with all kinds of marketing tips. And we tried, right. and we tried, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried. Uh, a lot of what we were told to do just did not work for us, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the a lot of us got discouraged when it comes to marketing. You know, I know some 
some riders that you know were really riding a lot during when uh, during when Winter was first published. They've completely given up on marketing. I mean, they just they just done. It. Mm-hmm. They're not going. They're going to. But I did do a lot of marketing, a lot of interviews, um, mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that uh, with the first book. Did a few with the second book. I haven't really tried hard with the third book mm-hmm. because I know that the third book in the series that is not finished yet is going to be still going to be a hard sell. Uh, right. So I, I'm sort of waiting until the la- I get the last book done. And uh, once the last book is done, then I'll really try the marketing, try to do the marketing thing a little bit more, mm-hmm. a little bit more, more passion or something. Yeah. It seems like a series, it can be harder to market because it's not finished. Well, and, you know, there were there was five years between book two and book three. Um, mm-hmm. And five years of just really, you know, trying to rediscover myself as a writer. And at the same time, get a handle on how I was going to be a full-time pastor and writer at the same time. Uh, and it was just really, really right. hard for me to, to get into finishing the series. But now that I'm into it, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm energized. I'm excited about it. I'm trying to get back into the game. But, you know, I also know that I've got to get the series finished. Um People more likely mm-hmm. to want to get in on a complete series than to get in one that's three books in. And hey, the third book took five years. How long is the last book going to take? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rabbit trailing off of that, did you always intend on making it a four book series, or do you ever think that you might write a fifth or even a sixth book in the series? From the beginning, it was point? always four books. Always four books. Okay. Uh, from the very beginning, I wrote uh, I wrote major benchmarks um, for book one. Uh, this is what's going to happen more or less in the past. This is what's going to happen more or less in the present. This is what Winner's prophetic abilities are going to look like. Uh, and, and this is how she's going to resolve the situation. I did that for all four mm-hmm. books. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I had a general idea of what I needed to accomplish in, as a series. And then I started, as mm-hmm. I got specific ideas, I'd start dumping them, or this idea needs to go in this book, this idea needs to go in this book, mm-hmm. until I had enough ideas to start outlining. I actually had the third uh, outline probably 75% complete before I wrote the second book. And um, mm-hmm. the before I started writing the third book, both the third and fourth books were outlined. Originally intended mm-hmm. on writing both of those books simultaneously, it just didn't work out. Yeah, you have to be pretty flexible, and there's a lot of other descriptive words you have to be to write two books at the same time in the same series. Well, I was going to first draft the third book and then immediately keep going with the fourth book as a first draft before going back. And I I did that, was trying to do that, got bogged down the fourth book, and I think last fall I was like, you know what, forget it, I'm finishing this third book. It's time uh-huh. to get this thing out. I'll, I'll deal with the fourth book after I'm done with this one. Yeah. Totally understand that one. So, totally get that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which fandom or fandoms do you feel have influenced your writing the most? Um, you know, big, uh, big fantasy person, Lord of the Rings and Narnia, big influences. Um, so those, those fandoms, the other two major fandoms, you know, uh, Doctor Who, uh, I've been sort of a, 
uh, a Doctor Who fan since the uh, original. Uh, when I even, even though I was little, and really didn't get to watch much of it. Um, would watch it on PBS every once in a while. My parents would let me, but I still like the original. Um, I got into the new series, so Doctor Who uh, is a fandom. Um, and Which is, then, who's um, your doctor? Classic or modern? <laughs> one for me. So I got to pick one. Okay, um, top three across the how board. About, how about uh, 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 two, four, and eleven? How about that? I've, three, four, I've watched some of all of them, so I, I watched all some of all except Peter McGann. Ben is my yeah. doctor. I, I like uh, I like eleven, and he he emulates. Mm-hmm. Uh, two a lot in his mannerisms. He copies <laughs> two a lot. Uh, and I think a lot of people for, don't realize <laughs> that. They talk about, you know, Matt Smith's way he does his hands and his <laughs> jewelry, and they, they don't like that. If you go back and watch the second Doctor, he acts a lot like that. There's not a lot of Now I'm going to have to go back and watch the second Doctor. <laughs> just because. Uh, and the second Doctor has one of my favorite names of all time, Zoe. Uh-huh. Uh, there, you need to look up, go to YouTube and look up, uh, Doctor Who, Zoe, uh, blows up a computer with her brain. Okay. You know what episode it's, it is? Cause it is on Amazon Prime. The classic episodes? The classics I are. I think they are. If they are, it's They're recent. Not? I thought when they moved everything off of Netflix, they put everything not over to classics. Amazon. They haven't done the okay. classics yet. As far as I'm aware, unless it's recent, I checked everyone. Well, they have them. Yeah, they have them at my library, so. I don't remember what episode it's from. Uh, Zoe, uh, it's a scene where Zoe goes into this place and she's confronted with this computer and the computer won't let mm-hmm. her get past, you know, won't let her proceed. Uh, and, uh, she's like the super smart person from the future. So one of the, one of the few mm-hmm. future companions he's had. Right. Uh, and so she just starts. You know, talking all of this crazy nonsense to the computer to get the computer to overthink, and the computer just can't keep up with her and blows up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and she laughs very uh, lamentedly about the fact that she. <laughs> right? It's quite, it's quite a fantastic scene. Nice. That sounds fun. So, any other fandoms that kind of cut um, you off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one more, one more. Legend of Zelda. Okay. I am a Legend of Zelda nerd, so uh, that is one. Uh, I would say that and Doctor Who would be my top two families. Wow. Cool. So what's your favorite book? Uh, well, I, I mentioned it earlier. Hero on the Crown by Robin McKinney. Uh, okay. That's, uh, that's the book, and she did a prequel to it called The Blue Sword, uh, okay. which just sort of has a uh, Arabian Nights type of feel to it. A completely different temperament than the first one. The first one is, is almost high fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, by far, uh, number one on my favorites list. Okay. <clears throat> so a little more serious. What's something that surprised you most about being an author? Well, and, and I guess what said, what has surprised me the most and, and part of the reason that it took me five years to get the third book done. Um, you know, when, when I first started writing, um, the, the whole indie scene wasn't really uh, coming along. The, the, it was all the traditional method or no method at all. Mm-hmm. And so I had this, uh, 
idea of what it looked like to be a writer. Um, and, and I had I had this whole this whole fantasy worked out. You know, this is what a writer looks like. This is what a, what a writer does. This this is what it means to be a writer. And I started out with that in mind. And um, um, you know, first book I wrote uh, is still unpublished. Um, a book called Among Dragons. It's a fantasy. Uh, didn't have much success with that. Couldn't find an agent. Couldn't find a publisher. I uh, wasn't really sure what the problem was. Um, I, I've learned, you know, the issues in my writing since. And that book is really bad. It needs a major overhaul. So I know there are problems. But then I wrote Winter. Um, and I had a lot of the same issues with Winter. And I really, I really worked hard to up my writing and to get it to the right level it needed to. And I've worked on that book and worked on that book. Um, and we still couldn't get an agent or publisher interested. And, and this is about the time that the indie, indie stuff started coming along. Um, mm-hmm. and I finally got, uh, uh, Grace Bridges with Splashdown said she, she liked it. Uh, in fact, cause she, her words were, if you can't find anybody else to publish it, I'll publish it. That's what she said. <laughs> That's about what she <laughs> told me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, I went with her and the first book released and then, I uh, got the second book, and and now now India is getting some legs onto it, and suddenly it, it it began to really hone in on me that that vision of being a writer that I thought it was going to be is not what it was. And this mm-hmm. this is not what I wanted to do at all. This this writing world is completely different than what I thought it was. It's it's changed, and and I knew the it was changing and, and, and I saw it changing. It just wasn't changing back to what I wanted it to be to begin with. It's, it's going someplace I didn't want to go. Uh, mm-hmm. and that really surprised me. And, and it took me five years to really sort of wrap my head around uh, where I needed to be as a writer, especially in mm-hmm. this indie publishing world, um, and to sort of just release the old dream. Because even mm-hmm. for the successful writers, that are out there, they're not living that old dream anymore. It's changed right. for them too, and and I had to I had to let that go. I had to release that old dream. So you know what? This doesn't exist anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got to redefine think, myself as a writer. Yeah, I think you and I. It sounds like kind of came to the same conclusion in a way, maybe a different timing through that same evolution where I was going wholeheartedly towards having an agent, getting traditionally published, you know, wanting to follow that John Grisham or Nora Roberts route. Right. And then the revolution happened, and it's like, why would I want to do that anymore? It just didn't seem It was a slow transformation, but, yeah, exactly. It was a slow transformation, but, you know, from 2012 to 2013, my point of view on that did a total 180. Right. So... Right. I, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think I sort of uh, um, had had my breakthrough in the past couple of years. So with mm-hmm. that, and I, in a way, I kind of envy some of these the new writers that are coming up. That mm-hmm. that uh, this is the only publishing world they know. Yeah. Uh, they don't. They don't know. You know, they weren't trying to write in the old environment. Mm-hmm. And, and they, that's all they know. They, they, they're writing to be an indie writer. And, uh, I kind of envy that a little bit. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
it, it is kind of funny to see the young kids going, well, I'm just going to do this. And they have no clue what the struggles were like even five or ten years ago. Right. Right. So. So. Hey, we have Aaron back. Yay. <laughs> Turns out I radio. I know. It's all the fun ones. I had to reboot I didn't know the radio, if you were gonna so. come. I didn't know if I was going to come back either. I was afraid that you weren't, so I just kept on plugging away. I tell you, I'm going to start saving up for that fiber install. I think you might have to. Yep. This is ridiculous. <laughs> What's one piece of writing advice you want to share with aspiring authors? Well, uh, and this is bouncing off what we were just talking about with 14 about the about the changes, you know, just the changes emotionally and, and readjusting to the new dynamic of the writing world right now, you know. Um, I, for aspiring writers, you know, you got to love it. You got you got to love writing for writing. Because if you mm-hmm. don't, if you don't write uh, for the love of writing, if you're writing for external reasons, or if you're writing for this this fantasy of of a dream of what it means to be a rock star writer, uh, that really doesn't exist anymore. If you're writing for that that sort of thing, it's going to disappoint you. Uh, mm-hmm. It disappointed me. It's going to disappoint any writer that that tries to make that force something to happen that can't happen anymore. So you've got to learn to love writing for just for the sake of writing. Uh, and be happy with that, that you're creating a fantastic story and, 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 and invite people to share the story, but don't define yourself by those people who are by, by trying to get readers. You know, love writing for the sake of writing. Yeah. That is some good advice. Everybody who's a writer needs to listen to that one. <laughs> yep. Because, you know, uh, what happens is, you know, I know one one professional professional writer who was doing this for for a career that mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, at one point I think had a book on the New York Times bestseller. Uh, I'm not going to name the book. I'm not going to name the writer. I don't want to uh, point it out or anything. But uh, has taken uh, has quit writing. Has taken a job in mm-hmm. retail, um, and that makes me just wonder. Um, if if this person was writing for the love of writing or writing for something else, because uh, mm-hmm. if you're just going to give up on writing and go to retail because you know the dream retail of all places, yeah, the dream's not working out the way you thought it was supposed to work out. You aren't mm-hmm. writing for the love of writing. Yeah, yeah, kind of reminds me of a, a seminar I was on, like a, a webinar. Uh, gosh, month, six weeks ago or something. I thought, oh, this looks really good. I got on there and it's like they're trying to set you up to have ghostwriters and stuff. I'm like, why would I want to do that? Yeah. Uh, and it's like there is total commercialization and they have this formula and everything. Why would I want to do that? Right. I, you it's know, we just say that over- now. <laughs> And we were talking about the, the fantasy of the John Grisham style writer and everything. Mm-hmm. That's the business that we're, that, you know, that uh-huh. we said we, we used to want. Uh, and now right. that we see what it really is, you know, that's not what we wanted. Yeah. yeah, but this was, this was like trying to set yourself up as the head person and hiring ghostwriters and looking at what sells and trying to figure out the formula to write books specifically to the market just to make sales. 
I'm like, what? Why would That's I want to do this? That's no fun. No, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, and paying the authors like a couple hundred bucks to write, you know, 50, 60,000 words. Yeah. Not I do that because I love it, not because, I, I mean, yeah, a paycheck would be nice, but. Oh. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing with most uh, small and independent authors, and especially ones just getting started, like me. Well, at least me. I don't know about anybody else, but it's one of those. I, I'm just such a nerd, and I do this really cool idea, and I just want to tell everybody else about it. Right. It's like, yeah, if I can make some money off it, that'd be nice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Kevin, what would you like to accomplish next? In your career, Evan. <laughs> <Good> domination. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> funny you should. That, that, that question's on the on the list because um, just last week I submitted my application uh, for a PhD uh, oh, cool. to the uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, you know, I'm going to, uh, and, and hopefully they'll accept my application. <laughs> I hope they'll let me in and let me do this, but, uh, uh, it's going to be a, a theology and philosophy of religion, uh, degree, and I'm going to specialize in theological aesthetics. And so this is approaching, uh, art, uh, mm-hmm. just, just, just arts in general from a theological perspective and, Answering questions like, um, you know, what kind of obligations do Christians have in producing art? You know, what are the moral limits of, of Christians producing art? What's the moral limits of art at, at all? You know, is there a part, place where it stops being art? Um, so mm-hmm. those, those are the kinds of things that I want to do. So that's next in my career. Uh, Very cool. Not next on my to write list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully it won't interrupt my to write list. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, sure, sure. I don't know if this is too controversial of a question or not, because uh, sure. we have a we had Mike Duran on. Uh, yeah, we had Mike Duran on yeah. the uh, show what six months ago, five months ago, something like that. And it seems like you guys kind of are on the same page. Though I'm not sure if you have the same view on things. Uh, well, you, you know, know we um we we sat side by side on the the horror and paranormal. <laughs> Panel at Realmakers this year, so <laughs> he had a post. Mike Green had a post on Facebook today talking about theology and art and all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've had some conversations about it. And I don't think we'll, we'll be far off. <laughs> yeah, he he just seems like the type of person that might come at something different point of view from you or something. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, what, well, what you will ever find two people who believe exactly the same thing anyway. So. True. And, and what he is doing and the kinds of things he's talking about is 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 the exact sort of thing that you know I'm going to go into PhD work and specialize in and do the hard work, the theology work, and uh, the Christian traditions and stuff like that to mm-hmm. to really formulate you know some really mm-hmm. some really basic theologies on this kind of thing. Interesting. Well, a lot of people don't know. It'd be that, interesting you to know. have you two on just to talk about that. <laughs> that well, it's amazing um, that people that don't know how much secular artwork was influenced by Christian theology during the Reformation and such. Right. Right. Yeah. Is there anywhere our listeners can go, assuming their internet's working, to learn more about you or your work? 
Well, yeah, my other website. Other information with Kevin Newsom dot com is website. That's right. That's the place to go, and then you'll find all you need right there. Even links to my social media if you want to come find me on social media. All those links are right there on my website. Great. Sweet. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us, Kevin. It has been fun. Anytime. This has been another episode of Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards. Have a question or comment? Email us at lasersdragonskeyboards at gmail.com or send us a tweet at ldkpodcast. Our music is Flight of the Beast, Loop 1 by Jonathan Gear. Lasers, Dragons, and Keyboards is copyrighted under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. This means if you're not for profit and you want to quote us, please be sure that you cite us. If you are for profit, please get our permission first. You can find us at lasersdragonsandkeyboards.wordpress.com for detailed show notes, as well as on facebook.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Peace and long life. Live long and prosper.